Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are coming at you from Atlanta, Georgia today for episode 22. It is part six of Building a Being Mode-Based Society. We might have called this subtitle Ending the Misinformation Epidemic, Ending Fake News. Uh, believe it or not, from in the 70s, talked about fake news <laughs> and wow. Supreme Cultural Council, all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Sonia, how are you, sister? I am good. I just um, this morning was able to schedule my uh, first vaccine, but not till April, but at least I'm on the way to doing it. That's exciting. And, and Victor, our technical producer, got his shot this morning. Yay, Victor. Yay. Victor, thank you for working through us with a sore arm. You're the best. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the vaccine is widely available in Georgia now. Yes, that's it's free. And anybody, I, I think, uh, from 16 years old and up can go sign up for it. So people go do it. It is here, guys. It's been a year almost. Well, a little over a year, right? Since this thing happened. So I'd, I'd say uh, probably, generally speaking, it's actually pretty fast that they got this thing out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. good, because I know other states were kind of moving quicker than us. So luckily we're, I don't know, hopefully catching up. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited because I think we'll be able to do, you know, some more normal, quote unquote, more. Let's don't even use the word normal. Let's use the word more social things, which right. we all need. I mean, if we didn't learn that we need each other from oh this, God. I don't know when we would learn that. When do you yeah. think we would otherwise? Yeah, the pandemic has taught us that. And I know, Lacey, you and I have some friends um, from our philosophy group that are mm -hmm. older, and they were really stuck in their home for a long time. And so even things like getting their hair cut, uh, appointments, you know, just normal stuff that you have to do all the time, they were unable to do so they have gotten the vaccine and now they're able to go out and start living their life a little more. Right. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I just don't know how some folks have made it through this time. I mean, as many of our listeners know early on, I didn't do a lot cause I was sick already. So I was right. extra sensitive to it, but woo, staying in all the time. It is a cost. Actually, a friend of mine that I saw in the last week uh, told me, she said, I loved this. She goes, um, if you, if something along the lines of like, if you're not suffering from COVID because of getting COVID, you're suffering from COVID in a different way, which is being shut in and locked in. Like we're all suffering from COVID, you know? Yeah. I was like, wow. That's a great point and very well said. That's Courtney, uh, my yeah. friend who's an avid listener. So, uh, yeah. Isn't no, that we, we, it's traumatic. I think we've talked about the grief and all that. It's just, it's been a crazy, crazy year. So hopefully, like you said, Lacey, even though we're not going back to normal, we can start living a little more. Right. Yes. That's what I'm hoping. Well, you know, another thing that happened, we, we mentioned this briefly last time, the, the mass shooting that took place here in Atlanta um, yeah. and then there was one yesterday, I believe, or the day before in Colorado. No, it's been a few days in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
And that was in a grocery store. Is that right? right. It was in a grocery store. Yeah. I saw a little uh, clip of a, of one of the Parkland school survivors being interviewed about this shooting in Colorado and how this has continued to go, go on. Uh, and it was very interesting. He was super passionate. And he's like, what, when, when are we going to make gun ending this type of gun violence really actually make it a priority? It's, it's really, I mean, it was very moving what he had to say. And I don't know, it's just super sad. He said, he quoted this, he goes, even during the pandemic, the year of the pandemic, there was still 500 or 600, something like that, shootings that happened. It's insane. It's still yeah. a problem. It's a problem. And, you know, I think it does speak, we talk a lot about rethinking, obviously, on this podcast of how we're living. And um, the the statistics show that the majority of the population want gun control. I, I don't know why we can't do anything about this and our legislature doesn't move. And it's sad because more lives are lost and uh, mm -hmm. it's another sign of our society being sick. Yes. But this continues to happen. And uh, I pray and hope that, you know, in our lifetime that something, you know, that there's a radical change because I think the younger generation, like you're saying, the Parkland uh, survivor is tired of this and, and just, frustrated and and they they're the ones that are going to make the the difference i think mm -hmm. you know the other thing that stood out to me about you know uh the shooting in colorado is there was information that he might have been mentally unstable which i mean mm -hmm. we could probably draw that conclusion about many of the people who commit these acts however i think it points to your what you mentioned just a minute ago which is we're living in a sick society. And if we don't start addressing our mental health, we're going to, it's going to continue to kill us literally mm -hmm. in all yeah. kinds of different ways. It'll manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. And mass shootings is one of them. I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. It's uh, it's just, it's a crisis and uh, we have to address it because you're right. There's a, there's such a high cost here. Lives, you know, innocent lives being lost. If you think about just going to the grocery store. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Just yeah. crazy. So yeah. we'll just keep pressing on and, and, you know, sending our message out there. And yes, that's why we're here. I mean, too, I want to throw this out there. You know, we had a discussion with some of our philosophy friends the other night about maybe uh, the shootings here in Atlanta, having an element of misogyny being a part of it, or maybe even a lead mm -hmm. in you know, maybe 70, 30, uh, who knows, who knows, but I don't think you can uh, leave out a mis misogynistic element to the shootings that took place here in Atlanta. And I thought we might mention that because it links to our last uh, podcast episode, which was on the pa patriarchy. Yes. Well, I uh, agree. I mean, interestingly enough, what you're bringing up links to mental health, and and also misogyny, also racism. So you've got a mix of a lot of stuff there that shows we have tremendous work to do um, to heal our society. And uh, yeah, we can't minimize the fact that it's uh, definitely was targeted, you know, against these women. Um, it was very sad. And it's part of what we've continued to talk about with the patriarchy and the whole, you know, the whole thing. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the vocabulary that was used was that he wanted to get rid of the temptation. And so it's really hard to think that's not, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's a conversation probably for another time. But I know we've touched on it here. And so I'm glad you brought it up because, uh, you know, we want to, um, I guess, give our condolences to those people that are suffering out there. Right. Uh, definitely. And so, so sad to hear about these things and so sorry for those who have lost. And so, so much a reminder that we are living in a, in an insane society with sick and we need to listen, I think, to what some of the things that Eric Fromm is saying. I think we can take from that and find some healing there. Uh, yeah. And some other exciting news in not this weekend, but next weekend, something big is happening. Big, big, big. Sherry Turkle. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited. I know we've been sort of counting down the days, but again, shout out to everybody. Please uh, watch our podcast. If you get a hold of our book, Empathy Diaries or Reclaiming Conversation, awesome. If you don't, we're going to talk about it. So yes, um, tune in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to just not even think about how technology uh, is affecting us in our daily lives and our ability to have empathy. And those are root causes to things like mass shootings and mm -hmm. you know, failed relationships and different things like that. And so this is going to be a very eye-opening conversation for folks, I think, who haven't even had a, you know, haven't had a chance to really think on these themes. Um, so we really invite you to be there. Sherry Turkle is an incredible, incredibly intelligent um, MIT professor. She started a whole research uh, research wing or what have you at MIT on technology and the self. Um, so she's just, we are so, so honored to have her and we're super excited. We are also excited. We're going to be announcing a date um, soon for an interview with Melissa Bernstein, Sonia. That's pretty wow. cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, Can you tell, tell everybody who she is? Well, you kind of tuned me into her. I guess um, her background is that her and her husband started a company and they made these toys and they were wildly successful. You were telling me they're similar to the Montessori toys. I know I've seen them. I just didn't know her story. I mean, they've they built an empire. But uh, real quickly for the audience to know is even through all this, even though she raised a family with six children, she struggled with depression. And yep. um, it wasn't until she got help that she then, with her and her husband, decided to create this online, um, I guess, hub for mental health called Lifelines, yep. which is just incredible. So they're giving back to the community. And it will be interesting to hear her story of their you know, evolution to get to this point. So that's mm -hmm. gonna be exciting. Yeah, I'm super excited about, it. you know, I saw her on CBS News Sunday morning a couple weeks ago. I love to watch that show, it's a news magazine show. Um, and I was blown away by her story, but also by what they're doing. I mean, they've pumped millions of dollars mm -hmm. into this already. And it was funny because the guy, the CBS interviewer goes, why would you do that? You're just going to help total strangers. And her husband said, they're not total strangers. They're, they're you and me. They're just like you and me. They're just yeah. like, Melissa. they're just like, man, I was like, Oh my God, I love this. This is amazing. 
So this is so cool. I just emailed her because I went on the Lifelines um, website and, and, you know, just had a conversation with her and then eventually asked, hey, you want to come on the podcast? So check out the website. It's lifelines.com. It's a community of play. I'm probably planning to join. Um, and there's also like events, like virtual events where you can learn different things about self-care and taking care of yourself. So we'll learn more about that when she comes on. But uh it's huge. And guys, this is Melissa from Melissa and Doug Toys. I'm, I'm telling you, if you have ever been toy shopping, I know you've seen this. The red, oval, white Melissa and Doug. They're really great toys. The highest quality toys. So we are so honored and excited. That will be coming up sometime later this month or early May. So keep an ear out. That will be another one, Sonia, that I will have to hit the quiet punch for a while. <laughs> it just... We'll get all the nerves out. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Exciting. So let's, yeah, let's get into it. So today we're finishing up um, all the little bullet points, you could call them, different ideas that uh, From was giving on how we can shift to a more being mode based society. Um, there's three that we'll cover today. They are uh, effective information dissemination. Uh, creating a Supreme Cultural Council, which Sonia and I have a, a little bit of pushback here on this one. Um, and then the scientific research that we we have done as a nation being separated from application for use in industry and defense. That one is maybe difficult to understand what that means right now, uh, but we'll, we'll get into it. I think you'll, you'll understand it. So, uh, and then uh, we'll talk about is there a reasonable ch chance for this to happen on the next episode, episode 23? So uh, let's get into it. Sonia, what was your first um, Well, yeah. my first thoughts on the Supreme Court, I'm sorry, Supreme Cultural Council sounds great. Yeah. Um, because in theory, it would be this group that's charged with advising the government, the politicians, and the citizens in all the matters in which knowledge is necessary. The challenge I had with it is that it's going to represent the intellectual and artistic elite of the country, men and women whose integrity was beyond doubt. So the question I would have liked to ask from is who are those people going to be and how are we going to pick them? Yeah. Because when I hear the word elite, obviously there's a thinking that comes to mind. I, I'm sure what his goal here is to get the top, people that could address, you know, our issues. And the question would be, how do we get those people? How do right. we find those people, you know? Yeah. And I mean, he mentions that in the next paragraph that, you know, the difficulty is not necessarily in finding these people, but in choosing them. Right. You know, they right. can't, he says they can't be elected by popular vote, nor should they be appointed by the government, but other ways of selecting them may be found. For instance, start with a nucleus of three or four persons and gradually enlarge the group to its full size, say 50 to 100 persons. Now, he's saying this would be like an extension of the FDA. And these folks would be in charge of like selecting the people who would be responsible for making sure that we don't get fake news, which we'll talk about in a minute. So that's his next bullet point. Right. But I think what's difficult about this is how do you know who, who are the elite? And then that, I don't know. I think this, 
like the nucleus of three or four persons. Okay, that that's maybe a good idea, but I think you're going to get a lot of bias that way because the three or four people are going to probably pick three or four people, other people or whatever other people they pick that are thinking like they are. I just, I'm not sure, man. I'm just not sure about this. Well, I think idealistically speaking, this is a great idea. It kind of goes back to our member when we discussed um, in a previous episode, the common, the group, the groups that he discussed. Um, So in theory, this would be ideal. And I believe because this is obviously we're going to just a little, I guess, announcement here is we're going to do more from books. We're going to do the same society. We may yeah. be able to, at that point, dig deeper into this. Um, Cause I think the idea, as I said, sounds awesome. The problem is how are we going to do it? How, are, how is this going to, um, how are we going to choose you know, it's not like you said, the difficulty is not in finding them, but in choosing them. So there has to be a form of selection to me that's going to be unbiased, um, that you're going to get differing opinions, which I think he gets into a little bit more here. You don't want to have just one thinking. So right. ideally, it sounds great, but I think the idea is that we're going to have to dig deeper into Frome's psyche to see where he's going with this. Right. And see if he's written more on this, potentially in the same society he has. And I do think it's, you know, credit worthy here. He says it is of decisive importance, of course, that this council should also represent those who are opposed to establishing, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for instance, the radicals, quote unquote, and revolutionists in economics, history and sociology. So if you're appointing people who like if you have that nucleus of people who are are who are appointing who are appointed and appointing if they are self-aware enough to go all right we're going to get this person who agrees with me this person who is supposed to be a radical this person who doesn't agree with me but we agree on this and the differing of opinions yeah i think that's helpful i think that's better i think that that makes sense but it's harder i think it's hard to say yeah let's do that whenever you're talking about having just a core group of people who are in charge, because I don't know, that's kind of scary. Right. And, and as I said, I'm sure that he kind of delves deeper into this, but um, on the surface, it sounds good. I just would have to study more Mm -hmm. and understand more. So here's my question for you. And I was thinking this as I was reading, Um, you know, I wonder if, this was done on a more localized level, if it might be easier. You know how we talk about how like being held accountable in a smaller community is way easier than the way we do things now, you know? So maybe, maybe just on the surface level without digging any deeper here into what he's written, mm-hmm. did this on a, in a more like, community community level or neighborhood level or what have you mm-hmm. or, or localized governmental level, maybe I'd feel a little more comfortable. True. And I think where you see momentum even now in our country of change really starts at a local level. Yeah. Really, uh, that. really yeah. starts even just with one person. And then that person takes the ball and runs with it. 
Right. And I think that does empower people because when you're removed from uh, the situation, you're thinking, well, I can't do that or I'm not in that position, then it gives you this, you know, the individual apathy. Like you think, well, what, what difference, you know, am I going to make? Right. But at the end of the day, you're right, the local um, movement is, is really powerful. Right. And, and I think that from also in previous chapters kind of address that too. So the last thing I want to say on this section before we move to the next topic in this, you know, for this episode is what he says at the end, he says this cultural council needs to be amply financed so that it would be able to commission special studies of various problems and really what came to mind when I read that was we have got to value more and invest more money into research. We have got to do that. I think that is something that over the last probably 20 or 30 years, we have begun to neglect the importance of research. Right. And I think also this, our, unfortunately, our last administration, I don't want to get political here, that was happening they stopped investing in a lot of areas that were typically, we meaning the US, you know, were top in engineering, were top in scientific research, were top in say space exploration. That started to be minimized. And to your point, Lacey, we have to continue the research if we're gonna solve, you know, problems of today. Right. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we have a mutual friend who works in research um, and I've talked with her about this before, this specific idea of like, we need more money re invested in research. And she has some very interesting things to say about how little, how we're seeing that funding wane, you know, just f fizzle out. So that's, that's a sad thing because there's a lot to be learned from research. Um, there's a lot of, that we can gain from research. Um, it's undervalued by a long shot, I would imagine, in this in this society. Yeah, and I think to your point, see, because research is behind the scenes, we don't see it going on, and we yeah. don't see it affecting us when it, what it does affect us, then it eventually affects us. You know, say they're trying to do a cure for Alzheimer's. Well, we're, they're not talking about that every day, but there are people researching it. And when that mm -hmm. funding dries up, that eventually is going to affect all of us who have loved ones, um, it's just, it's, it makes no sense to me that we don't put the funds into the areas that we need help in our society. It, it's, yeah. it's disappointing. It's a, it's a, it is. And it is an area of like, clearly we need some growth in that area as a society, clearly. Okay, so the next section here, he says, a system of effective dissemination of effective information must also be established. Basically, we got to get rid of fake news, guys. That's what it boils down to. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what's yeah. so fascinating about this next section um, is how Frome is talking about this in the 70s. Yep. And we're living it right now. It's even more complicated and more intense now because of social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. Key talks what really, um, you know, stuck to me was how he talks about, uh, well, he talks about magazines, television, radio. Obviously we can include internet being a commodity 
And I thought what was interesting is that he's looking at it from the profit motive. And he's saying as long as there's sales, okay, of mm. news, then you can hardly like, you realize what's going to be, I guess, um, presented, what's going to be printed or what's going to be shown online because it's all about the dollar, right? right. So I question, well, what are we getting? Are we getting the news or are we getting the, the information that the news media wants to show us, okay. you know? Right. And again, this was in the 70s, guys. Yeah. In the 70s. He says, at the very best, information is ready-made, concerns only the surface of events, and barely gives the citizen an opportunity to penetrate through the surface and recognize the deeper causes of the events. That reminds me of the difference between a soundbite, a 30-second, 45-second, you know, we talk about the quick news stories and like if you sit down and you watched uh andrew yang's interview with joe rogan that was a three-hour interview these solutions to the problems we're facing today are intricate they're they're detailed they're they're not simple sound bites in 30 seconds and it takes time to describe them it takes time to really talk about what's going on it's like it's a complicated thing there's there's a lot more to what's going on uh, other than just what appears on the surface. And so that's what that makes me think of. And it's true. All, all we hear is the surface level of events. And to me, it's about sensationalism and sales. That's what mm -hmm. it was. Well, I'm going to bring up that you discussed earlier. I also think um, that local journalism is very important. And we're losing local journalism because we're losing it to the big news media outlets. And if we don't make an effort to save that, that's important because it's actually what's happening in your community. And to your point about diving deeper into subjects, I'll just make a reference to our recent podcast. We um, had Amelia Payne. She wrote a book made in China. Now, until you read that, you don't really understand all the intricacies, right? Of yeah. what's going on with the sale and how things are manufactured. I mean, there's just you know, yes. an idea, but you kind of have to dig deeper. And so mm. I would like to see uh, news outlets be able to give us more in-depth information. And I'd also like to see news outlets that aren't completely motivated from that profit standpoint yeah. where they're going to bring unbiased and also they're going to bring news that we don't hear about. A lot of times it's like, well, let's talk about this subject because we're going to get a lot of viewers as opposed to really telling us everything that's going on, both right. nationally and world, world, throughout right. the world. That's a great point. I think we need more international news. I think if we had more, inter if that was more a norm, international news, I think it'd be easier for us to realize we are living in a global community. Right. I mean, because a lot of times you're focused on whatever the latest you know, news uh, cycle is. And then you find out that in some part of the world, some horrific things are happening or there was like an earthquake or, you know, a thousand people died. But that's hidden because we keep repeating the same story every day. Um, yeah, that is really is what they're looking at is the numbers, the numbers, the viewership. It's the desensitizing while we have we're on this topic of Amelia Pang and um, 
uh, made in China. I want to mention that the last couple of days they've had an online uh, advocacy type event where with the hashtag for ending forced labor, wow. uh, forced labor fashion. And three companies they mention in this, it's Nike, I think it's Zara, and I can't remember the third one. Um, but if you fo- go to my Twitter, at Lacey Delane, you can see um, what that stuff is. But I am actually a huge fan of Nike. I lo- They're my favorite brand. And I have not worn my Nike shoes for the last two days because I refuse. I also tweeted to Nike and I said, hey, Nike, get your shit together so I can wear your brand again because I'm not doing it until you do. You know, right. So, right. Anyways, make some That's- noise. Folks, if you uh, yeah. if you heard that episode and you know join in in what we're the movement is on social media because enslaving people so we can have a, a tennis shoe is just ridiculous. It's so absolutely stupid. no, I agree with you. And this is the you make an excellent point, Lacey. If the news is telling us what's really going on, then I think people are going to listen. Yes, and we need that. We need the information out there. Um. I think from it's just amazing to me that he is talking about misinformation because that's one of the problems we've seen also through the pandemic. I think people um, got different information of whether, you know, what was going on, what was not going on. You go down the rabbit hole and they are coming up with a completely different set of facts than what the scientific community is telling us. So that's it's very dangerous to have that misinformation out there. Right. And he even says at the very beginning of the section, information is a crucial element in the formation of an effective democracy. Um, I know Andrew talked about that uh, and how local journalism is very important for us to continue to have uh, an effective democracy. Um, so agreed. We, we yeah. have to have we got to have the information or we aren't really living in a democracy. Right. And he um, and going back to the Supreme Cultural Council, he also talks about one of the functions would be to gather and disseminate all the information that would serve the needs of the whole population and particularly would serve as the basis for discussion among the face to face groups in our participatory democracy. Yes. Yes. That's very cool. Yeah. They they kind of go hand in hand with each other in that way. What I like, too, that he says it is of special importance that in the case of disagreement, the minority opinion and the majority opinion would be published. I love that. And that this information would be made available to every citizen and particularly to the face to face groups. I do think that's important, you know, because there tends to be obviously opinions that kind of steer one way. And then the masses may agree with that. But you need to hear both sides. I think you need to hear the majority and the minority to really make uh, an informed decision. Yeah, 100%. I think we need to hear the details. I mean, we need to stop thinking that we can get accurate news in a 30-second blip. Because we both know that if we think about an event that was quote unquote dramatic that took place in either of our lives. There's a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of different history. There's a lot of different biases um, that come that take that comes from each person in the situation. It's not like it's this easy answer. It doesn't. It's right. not that easy. It's not that quick. You know. Right. 
And I was thinking when you read a headline, which I understand the headline is to grab your attention, but at the end of the day, you have to read the complete article, then you have to read another article or read another research paper and to really understand the depth of the problem. Right. And you need the sources that we're reading to be accurate and to be well informed. Yep. Otherwise, you have part of your population that is sort of in another, re thinking another reality. Yep. And that's hard to bring those people back in to reasoning. I would say Prom would talk about using your reason when mm -hmm. you're already having an, a different truth. You're kind of living in a different truth. You know, we both have to, I think you have to agree on certain things. If you and I look outside right now and I say it's cloudy, you say, no, it's sunny and it's actually cloudy. Well, we have to start from a basis of agreeing. Yes. And then we can start to disagree on some other things. But if we don't have the basis of, of reasoning, then mm -hmm. it gets really, it's a slippery slope. Right. There, there has to be an agreement. No, it's not an agreement. There has to be an acceptance of mm -hmm. the facts. Of the facts. Exactly. All, and that is the starting point. And maybe why he mentions here, or part of why he mentions here, that it's such a crucial element in the formation of an effective democracy. I wonder what you think about this. This is a very interesting, he says here, the problem remains that at present, the amount of real and necessary information given to the average citizen is almost zero. <laughs> I wonder what your thought is on that because that's a big statement and I can definitely see where it might be true. The problem remains that at present, the amount of real, real well, information and really. is actually, there's not that much of it given to the to citizens. There, there may be truth to that statement because what's scary to me is if you have a group of people and the majority in that statement are getting zero information and then you only have maybe a few that are getting information and then you have to question what information are they getting? Is it right. good or bad? And then maybe you even have a smaller minority they're getting accurate information. How are decisions made? And how can you have an informed, you know, population that is part, well, participating in the democracy, as he's saying, mm -hmm. if, if you're just dealing with a very small, minute um, number that even know what's going on. So I think right. it is important. It's, it's a responsibility that we have informed citizens. Yeah. And I mean, even I think, you know, the other element to this is that he's saying like because in the context of this it's like withholding information from the public or from citizens due to national security quote unquote so he's saying even the information that we do get even the little percentage of people who are informed quote unquote he's saying that's not even really real necessary and it's not even information that we need mm -hmm. that we're getting the, the the you know like the at the source of putting out the information, it's really not accurate. It's not necessary. That's a that's a big statement. To that's make. a big statement. So then you have to determine what is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, who's deciding what's necessary? Which he right. may see was that Supreme um, Council, and uh, you have to work with that to then determine, you know, what is important and what is valuable that we need to know. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think of the pandemic. Okay. So mm -hmm. they've gotten all the information I would imagine. Okay. The government about 
the severity of this, we're talking about a year ago when it all first started happening. And I would imagine what he's saying here is that uh, we didn't get real information. We got almost zero real information about the pandemic, at least early on. Mm -hmm. And what information we got maybe was not actually even necessary. Does that make sense? So I'm thinking specifically about an event that or something that the that the government has information about um, that we as the public need the information. But I think I think what I read him saying here is we're not getting we're really not even getting that. So that's quite interesting to me. I do I do see how that could be absolutely true because it's about massive control and power from the government side of things. If you're if we, like look at it in the extremists negative sense, I mm-hmm. think. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, and this is why you have to have different voices, right? This is why you have science. This is why you have people that don't, they're not politically motivated. They don't, they're not trying to get be popular. Mm. You want accurate, factual information. Right. And the key is determining, okay, what is that information that that we, meaning the government, are going to disseminate. How mm-hmm. are we giving that information out and how, to what degree? Um, I would argue there's things that you really want to dive deep into. There are other things like emergencies that you have to make that information as concise and as understandable as possible so that mm-hmm. people get it, you know, because if it's like a 10 page, um, information sheet, nobody's going to be reading it, but that's just, I'm talking about an exception where you have an emergency. Otherwise I do believe you need more information and you need more like the minority and the majority thoughts so that you, one can read and you know, you can do your own research and come up with your own, um, ideas of what you're learning. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You know, I think it's interesting. And what I pull from this section as we transition is that as it stands, it seems like it's a low percentage of the time that we really actually as individuals make informed decisions. Um, So interesting. And he, he also says at the end here, as long as the sale of news is a business, newspapers, Mm -hmm. magazines can hardly be prevented from printing what sells their publications um, and, and, ta- and does not antagonize their advertisers instead of thinking about what information would be healthy and helpful to the, to the general public. So yeah, really interesting. Cool. Um, so the last section that we'll talk about is the section where he mentions that scientific research must be separated from application in industry and defense. So I I have to be honest, Sonia, this section, I think, I don't know. I think he could have expounded a little bit on it, or mm-hmm. maybe I don't understand it fully. The only thing that really helped me understand what he was saying here is profit and military expediency must cease to determine the application of scientific research. So what are your thoughts on this section? What, how do you? Yeah, I'm going to read one sentence. I think that kind of, for me, hits a lot of what he's talking about is it. He says, as has been emphasized by many observers, 
certain discoveries in genetics and brain surgery and psychodrugs and in many other areas can and will be misused to the great damage of man. Mm. So I, I pulled that out specifically, I think, because it does speak to today. Um, while I can't speak to all of our discoveries and where we at on our scientific research, we do know that genetics has advanced um, psychodrugs. That's a big one in the news right now. Right. I don't know so much on the brain surgery, but what I think he's getting to there is that we have, we're doing these discoveries and there's a little bit of danger in how are we going to use, how are we going to apply this knowledge that we have? And I think one thing is that you and I, because this is the mm. theme in this podcast, is the profit, right? Yeah. If one can profit through, you know, doing genetic manipulation, there potentially could, that could happen. If one can right. profit using the big thing now, which I'm, an advocate for is using psychedelics like for mental health but you yeah. also have to balance that with that you know being kind of a business where people are profiting off of that so I think he's really um, he's touching on something that is kind of the norm is uh, capitalism it's always about making the dollar so yeah it's a it's a really you have to be very careful because on one hand you want to have these scientific discoveries, you want to have the betterment of humankind, but you got to be careful. Right. Where, what, where, who, who is going to have the power to use those discoveries, and how is that going to be, you know, charged to the consumer? Basically, right. That's how I see it. And then he gets into, of course. The military part, which I think that that you said the profit and military expediency, that's mm -hmm. excellent, must cease to determine the application of scientific research. Well, that speaks to also profit. Exactly. Again. Yep. And he says this is unavoidable. Your your sentence you read it as as has in sorry, as has been emphasized by many observers, certain discoveries in genetics, brain surgery, psychodrugs, and in many other areas can and will be misused to the great damage of man, which is what you read a second ago. Then he says, this is unavoidable as long as industrial and military interests are free to make use of all the theoretical discoveries as they see fit. So what comes to mind when I read that is, let's say, let for example, biogenetic uh, engineering of human organs, mm -hmm. something like that, or for the on the military side drones mm -hmm. flying drones that kill people you know like mm -hmm. in war and you know i think it could be developed for quote you know the use of war but do we really want drones that fly around and kill people i i don't know that that's the thing that came that come to come to mind well, that right well what people would push back on that they would say that that would be used say to protect us say you're in a foreign country. The problem that, that you're getting at, Lacey, that is, is excellent, is that that can be also used for um, other purposes. Yes. And so where it gets really tricky is how how is this, we how are we applying these discoveries practically and who's controlling this? Which he does talk about having a control board that would be legally and psychologically completely independent of industry, the government, and mili the military, which I like because obviously anytime something is tied into, you know, if you're on this board and you're 
making money, then you're going to say, yeah, let's make drones for whatever, for use right. all right. across the board. That's not somebody who's thinking independently. Right. And that's the challenge that we have because it's, it's this idea that we're advancing, but who's controlling the decision-making to what we are advancing to and how we're going to use that and who's going to make money from that. Um, how are we going to invest in that? There's a lot of questions there. So many. And he also mentions that the Supreme cultural council would have the authority to appoint and supervise this control board. So that, you know, function, functionality wise, you know, just a footnote. I mean, and of course these are all ideas of how do we get there? How do we get to this being mode based society that we know now from reading this book and thinking about these ideas and seeing what's happening just today in our society, mm -hmm. we need, we need to shift the values so that we can really embrace our humanity and embrace our human nature and our human needs. And I mean, become less of a sick society. I mean, I don't know. I think that sounds attractive, don't you? <laughs> right. No, no, it does. And we can't um, leave out the fact, I brought it up to you earlier, that he does say here that the United States, being the richest country in the world, has to curtail its expenses for health, welfare, and education mm -hmm. in order to carry the load of its defense budget. That's a huge issue in our country. Huge. Yes. Because we yes. pour billions of dollars, maybe it's trillions, I don't it's know the number. It's Into trillions, the isn't it? Yes into the defense budget. And so we right. don't have money for these other things in society that we desperately need. Right. And we know we desperately need them. And there's constantly that battle in determining how much for defense and how much for education and health and welfare and all of our other needs, our social needs. And I think the pandemic has shown us that we can't afford not to invest in human beings. Yeah, just in our defense. Right. You know, and this this is in the very last section that somehow I've overlooked. But the main point of this last bullet point he has is atomic disarmament, basically yes. getting rid of nuclear weapons. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's a there's an industry there, as we know briefly, and some people probably know more in depth than we do. Um, and that's part of why this happens. But he was, you know, I, I get the sense from reading him, he was very concerned about nuclear weapons and nuclear yes, war. Yes, yes, yes. And it's still a concern today, quite honestly. I don't keep up with that, but mm -hmm. that is one of the things that drives, um, you know, the world powers right now. And, of course, there's just, like we said earlier, trillions of dollars going into that. And so that money could be better spent on helping those in need all around, you know, globally. Yeah. I, I had to read this, um, this sentence because it's so powerful. He says the cost of social experimentation cannot possibly be borne by a state that is making itself poor by the production of hardware that is useful only as a means of suicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great sentence. Isn't that great. Uh, it's just profound. Um, so the next section of this chapter is where he says, hey, is there really a chance? Can we yeah. really Can we do this? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we'll talk about on on um, on episode 23. So, 
Yeah, good stuff. I mean, we got to get rid of nuclear uh, weapons, he's saying. We've got to really be specific about how we use scientific research um, from, you know, military side and from the profit perspective. Um, we've got to get rid of fake news and we've got, you know, to have some some type of uh, governing body for mm -hmm. advising the government, advising uh, citizens and matters, which knowledge and depth of knowledge is necessary, which that's the Supreme Court Council. So that's that's the uh, thought processes that he has um, in this little section about how we get to a being mode based society. Uh, seems seems like a lot. My, a lot is necessary for this to actually happen. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you think this is all possible, you know. Um, feel free to message us on Instagram or Twitter or uh, send an email, RethinkingHumanityPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Um, we'll potentially use it in the next episode, episode 23, where we talk about this uh, theme. Is this really possible? Can we really do this? Yeah, I'd love to hear people's opinions. I know it's a lot to to uh, kind of imagine us shifting, but I believe that we don't have a choice. We have to start changing. Yeah, I mean, I... Otherwise, to quote him, suicide. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my gosh. And and in so many different manifestations of the word. And I'm, I'm not speaking individually. I'm speaking society <laughs> no no for sure for sure but i mean it takes different forms so it's yeah. really really good so just a reminder we have sherry turkle next weekend live that will drop to the podcast uh we'd love to have you for that um and then of course melissa bernstein of melissa and doug toys on her new venture lifelines which we're super huge fans of so um stay tuned uh thanks for being with us we'll see you next time yeah be safe and go get a vaccine <laughs> yeah. bye guys bye